celebrating the human spirit of diversity engagement and how you can use that to make a contribution in society. I think it speaks to the diversity of my background and the family I have now and the diversity of where I've been able to engage with a lot of different individuals. This is the Indianness podcast, stories of success from leaders and change makers of Indian origin. Why have Indians achieved success across so many different disciplines around the globe? I have no idea, but let's find out together because every story is unique. I'm very excited to have another unique story with us, Sanjay Koryani. He's the Chief Technology Officer for the Department of Labor. He's also served as the Executive Director of the Health and Human Services Chief Technology Office, besides other leadership roles in the U.S. federal government. I've invited him on this show as I'm fascinated to hear how technology will impact, especially AI, jobs of the future. And he, with his background, can definitely present a great view for this. Besides, he also has a very interesting personal background. Welcome, Sanjay. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast. Thank you, Sanjay. I really appreciate being here. Great, Sanjay. So, you know, in this podcast, we try to provide inspiration to others, guidance to others, etc. And that really begins by finding out what got you to where you are, the success you achieved. So for that, we kind of have to go to the beginning. So can you walk us right in the beginning? Where were you born? A little bit about your parents, siblings, etc. Just walk us through that journey. Great, thank you. So I was born in Buffalo, New York. I'm, I'm one of five kids. The interesting thing with my family is my dad is from India. He was born right outside of Mumbai. My mom is a Russian-German background and was raised in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. And so my dad from early on had one of a family of farmers in India. My mom was one of 12 kids, family of farmers in Canada. My dad had ambitions of being a farmer. His siblings just saw something else in him and said, you're destined for more than this. Grabbed by his ear, pulled him to school. He ends up going after his medical degree, which brought him to the United States, brought him to Canada, brought him to marry my mom, who, you know, just again, completely different backgrounds and experiences, but felt that connection. And then him not really returning to India after that and just coming back to the United States and pursuing the American dream for him, which was serving the medical community and driving those pieces forward. Three of my siblings were born in Canada. Two of us were born here in the United States. I spent the majority of my upbringing in Indiana, a good Midwestern town, and with a lot of sensibilities. And that's kind of where, at least early on, where I just got a chance to experience some of this interconnectedness between going, you know, India, Canada, United States, and my place in all this. Oh, that must have been interesting. I mean, we talk about Indian American. You've had India, Canada, in some cases, Indiana, Russian, German. So what was the environment like at home in terms of, you know, you had, as you said, father coming from a farming background, mom also from a farming background, and you had a bunch of siblings. What was it like, Sanjay? What's really interesting to me, Sanjay, is that it was a lot more balanced 
then it, it just in retrospect, when you grow up in this environment, things don't seem unnatural. So my dad making, bringing in Indian food and having Indian friends over and us seeing that culture and experience just seemed very normal middle America stuff. My mom bringing in her influence of, you know, Canada's a lot like America, you more traditional American dishes and that kind of thinking was just blended in. So it became a really blended experience. But because early on, you've got, that's kind of how you see the world. It seemed like just a very normal way to grow up and a very easy thing to experience that. Now, I will say when I came to Washington, D.C., after I, you know, I went to, to undergraduate school in Indiana, went to Purdue, and then I went to Tennessee for graduate school. And I came here to D.C. for work following that. And it was then where I really got a chance to experience Indian community and, and just meet a, a whole lot more of the Indian culture because of the melting pot that D.C. is and um, really then be able to connect a lot more with, with that side outside of, you know, my father, some of his acquaintances. But to really see it at the level I've seen it here in D.C. is really eye-opening and fascinating. So growing up, you thought it was natural, you know, your dad bringing over friends, relatives, etc., and mom, do you think that the cultural mishmash or whatever the diplomatic term for that is, has helped prepare you? Because we live in a kind of a global environment, whether it's our colleagues, work environment, et cetera, and also a lot of constant changes that happen. I think it does because you really start to see things as much, we have so many more you know, commonalities and differences. And I know that sounds a bit trite, but you do see the commonality in everybody. I mean, that the whole human spirit of people wanting to generally get together, to get to know each other. And, and you get beyond, this is my Indian side, this is my Canadian side, you know, this is my American side. And instead, this is just, this is just how we all interconnect. To me, it's, I'm sometimes surprised by how sometimes people see these distinctions. For me, I just really do see it as this, this great melting pot of ideas and people. And it just, it doesn't really enter my mind a lot. It just seems very normal and natural. Now, uh, you grew up in Indiana, right? Which, yeah. as you said, is right in the middle of the United States. How was that? Talk a little bit about that experience. It was good in that you get, there's, again, there's a sensibility around the Midwest that you see a little differently than maybe the fast-paced part of the East Coast and some of the transients of the East Coast. And, you know, I still go home and it still feels very much the same as when I left it. But I think the one thing that is interesting is that I grew up with some cornfields around where I lived, and I thought that was just how everybody grew up. And when I started leaving Indiana, I started seeing other parts. I'm like, this, this is just very different. And so at the time in particular, there, you know, outside of what my dad might bring in, there really wasn't all that much diversity. And that is both in some of the people you see as well as the places you eat. Like when I went to an Indian restaurant in Washington, D.C., it was very different than my experience eating the one Indian restaurant I had in Indiana or when I was in Tennessee for graduate school. So when you start to see that your worldview kind of broadens as you go out and you start to live with other parts of the country, you don't really experience or really even understand how your view and your world changes when you start to see the other experiences and you start to see places that do have broader cultural differences and ways of people thinking and just the even exposure to more you know, multicultural events and restaurants and things like that. So the way I saw it then is probably very different than how I see it now as to how I kind of process and 
what may have been a little bit more limited for me back then and maybe the, the largest I see in the world now from maybe a, a DC perspective. So when you are going to school, let's just say primary, secondary, high school, etc., did you fit in? Were there any issues in terms of fitting in, whether it was your aptitude, skills, what you wanted to do? How was schooling like? I would say that it was very, I don't want to say general, but it was very general. I did enough to get by. I think when, when I look back at it in retrospective, I was probably maybe one of just a couple Indians that were of that heritage in the school. But because of Again, just my upbringing that it just never really seemed to be how I thought about things. It just, I just kind of was, you know, a Midwestern guy in a Midwestern school and doing Midwestern things. And so I think when I really came into my own was when I got into graduate school and I really started getting a sense of purpose and, and kind of this mission towards public service in life and wanting to really go out and make a difference. Were there any expectations slash pressure, I mean, from the parents that, hey, we want you to be an engineer or as I I use that phrase, we have a two profession rule for a lot of Indian kids, you know, doctor or an engineer. Were there any expectations at all? There was an expectation of all five kids that you're going to go into the healthcare field. And so my dad was a, it was a physician. I remember just when I was younger, you know, doing a lot of, pro bono work. So he'd come up with this bushel of apples from from going to one of the convents with the nuns and, you know, what what they paid him in was apples. And I'm like, Dad, what's up with these apples? He says, what? So there was that, I think that's from that public service side, from the medical side, I think my dad took a swing at all five kids to go to medical school. And so because you have so much exposure to that, I personally was like, you know, I look up to my dad, he's and all that he's gone through and accomplished. And so you want to follow that pathway. So I started out in biology pre-med, a real core focus on going into the medical field and going in and getting a medical degree. I think the thing that kind of shifted my mind is I went into some of these broader public health courses and the shift from more treatment to prevention to how you create preventative systems across for a variety of different populations and you prevent things from you know, getting to a point, whether it's obesity or access to healthy foods or access to better medical treatments, that takes a bit of a different mindset. And that really got me excited more so than focusing on being in a brick and mortar place, providing medical health for time for the patient. And so I made it shift over to the public health side with the concentration in technology and how technology can help to enable that. But I would say that all five kids, there is an expectation that you know, you should really think about the medical field. And that is a profession for helping people to stay healthy, be healthy, and take care of them. I think all five kids did a shift. None of them went in the medical field. Well, you have been in healthcare, so I would not rule that out. But I guess the others didn't listen as carefully as you, you kind of did. So then you went into college from there. Where did you go to college? I went to the Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana, and that's where I pursued biology and psychology and pre-med stuff, yeah. Good. And then how was that experience, Sanjay? It was good. I mean, I went from, I predominantly went to a small Catholic private school in grade school, high school, to 
you know, much larger public university, heavy concentration on engineering and, and the sciences. That was good too. That's I, I would say that, and I think you know this, Sanjay, like Purdue was a tremendous amount of Indian students and they had a specific emphasis on, on, on bringing them into the university. And so what was great for me was, again, broadening that experience of growing up in the smaller part of Northern Indiana to then going more to the to a large university where you do have a much more diverse set of individuals from across the country, but also a heavy emphasis on Indian students and really getting to meet them and get their experiences. And in some cases, I remember they were coming over and they were fully unprepared. So I'm, I'm coming over. I didn't realize that it was going to be cold Midwest winters and I needed to have some of these basic things coming over. I just had this opportunity. So I, I went. And it was just really inspiring in some cases where I got this opportunity, I was on the plane, and they're jumping in trying to experience, you know, life in America. Midwest winters? Midwest winters. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's true. And as you said, Purdue does, it's a firstly a great world-class university, especially on the engineering side. It does attract a lot of international students, especially also from India. So you built some relationships, got exposed there. Was it there where your interest in technology started growing, Sanjay? Where did you really get excited about it? It was more in graduate school. I was always fascinated with the direction of we were going with, you know, things like at the time Gopher and these initial ways of how do you network and engage? How do you move towards more graphical user interfaces to create things? And, you know, you're always influenced by people. There was a professor at, at Purdue that it, it just had some really fascinating ideas in the space and where, what it might mean in the healthcare. They were just all wild ideas, but they were so compelling that it stuck with me. And then when I went to the University of Tennessee for graduate school, I made that shift over to public health. And then I focused a lot on, on technology classes. I focused on aging populations, again, getting a bit closer to where my dad was at, so he he was a cardiologist and an internal medicine physician. So a lot of his patients were older adults, and I got a chance to see the impacts of healthcare on aging adults and, and including psychologically. And so the heavy concentration on older adults, technology, public health, and how you can create these structures to improve lives and, and create healthier communities. But it is around there that I really started to look at that intersection and make that connection. What was the contrast between Indiana and Tennessee? A little bit, right? Touching a little bit of the South, so to speak. It's, you know, it's a little smaller, but it was still a big university, the warmer. I would say that the one thing that, because you're kind of isolated on a campus, so you've got a lot of young people being mixed in. I've got to appreciate the Southern culture a little bit more. It's a little less diverse, but by and large, you know, a similar experience because, again, it's, a lot of young people kind of inoculated on the campus. And so, and, and you still are starting to see a lot of, you know, diverse thinking, diverse ways of how you view the world and understanding those different experiences. That's great. So then you came out with a graduate degree and some of your ideas were formed. Where next, uh, Sanjay? So what's really interesting is that I look back at my life, you know, as you get a little older, you sit back and you do some reflection and, Defining moments. Defining moments. You, you go to these leadership classes and they kind of force you to do a 360 of your life and to really think about where where you are and, and, and what kind of led you on your journey. I, I will say that as I've done that thinking, 
my career in public service, which has been longer than I would have imagined, has really been in a lot of ways just kind of an open mind and not really defining, you know, Sanjay, you're the public education guy. Sanjay, you're the technology guy. Sanjay, you're the web director guy. It has been being very open to anything that would kind of move that, even at the time, I don't even know if I knew it, but this passion around public service, helping people, and then aligning that with technology. How can technology be used to enable people to live better lives, to advance you know, to, to advance the mission of any kind of a company or program. And so when I did to finish up my graduate school, I do an internship. I did it with the National Institutes of Health and specifically the, the National Cancer Institute. And I came in and in, in their program where they do a lot of public education campaigns, they push a lot of health communication messages. And I soon found myself kind of being the web guy. Sanjay, you're you're young. Help us to better understand how we do web and technology and well, again, just that sounds great. Again, see myself as just a public health education, you know, communication guy. So before I knew it, I was with a group of individuals who was were not only just looking at how do you use technology to advance the research mission of the National Cancer Institute, but at the time we were hearing a lot of people coming in and saying, "I I'm having trouble using your system. I feel like you're creating it for yourself and not for us." And so. I became part of a group that really embraced how do you create user experience and usable websites and designs. And before I knew it, we were completely redesigning the National Cancer Institute website with a lot of metrics around how we could improve performance and engage individuals on finding critical research information, whether you're a researcher or a healthcare provider or the public. And you know, I wasn't the user experience guy, but I became the user experience guy because I had an open mind and it was something I knew that would help us to really leverage technology based on building things collaboratively with the public. And because of the way that we were approaching it, we had really good data around how people were leveraging these tools and resources. Health and Human Services Headquarters tapped us on the shoulder and said, look, we're doing all this great work. You're being asked to present out at other federal agencies. We're bringing you up to help to headquarters. We're giving you six months to redesign all of Health and Human Services website. This is a $1.3 trillion agency that affects every part of healthcare from public health and healthcare regulation at the Food and Drug Administration to basic research and medical research at the National Institute of Health and Medicare Medicaid, which provides health insurance and coverage of older adults and people medically at need. And the list goes on, but it's a big entity. And so before I knew that, I was the user experience lead for the Department of Health and Human Services. And that went so well as we built out the first digital program for health and human services that then the Food and Drug Administration tapped me on the shoulder and said, we want you to come here and be our first, our director of web communications and social media, which was the first at the time because they had really moved into the social media space. And so I, I won't go through the entire journey, but you know the hats that I've worn, Sanjay, which have been really interesting, have basically been keeping an open mind with those drivers I mentioned. But you know, call me the from there leading healthcare innovation headquarters. In between those two stints, the Food and Drug Administration came and said, we're getting the authority to regulate the back for the first time anywhere in the world. We've got to stand up the center. We've just got regulatory authority. We want you to come in and help us to build up the center to go from zero to 800 staff and to build out its first public health education campaigns being built at a significant amount of funding to create behavior change for youth and adults 
So I'm now the director, you know, the deputy director of health communications and helping him to frame out a brand new office and upwards of 90 staff. So that health programs, that journey is, it's really been one of really keeping an open mind and not really being pigeonholed. It's like when I was younger, I'm not pigeonholed as Sanjay is in the Canadian, he's American, he's in India. Sanjay is not a public health education specialist. Sanjay is not a director of web communication and social media. Sanjay is not the director of innovation at Health and Human Services, where we're leading innovation programs, not the CTO. The list goes on. It's been really, you know, you, you kind of just kind of open the bell here, Sanjay. It's, it's really been fascinating to keep an open and diverse mind to where life's going to take you as long as it's aligned with your passions. I think there's some really fascinating things that they can come out. Wow, that's amazing. Where life can take you if you follow your passions. Did you, looking back now, think that you'd spend so many years in you know the government, the public sector, so to speak? I didn't. I'll tell you something. You, know, you look back and life goes by in the blink of an eye. And I feel that way. Personally, you know, I have two kids. I to make my life more diverse than area woman from Poland. We now got these two. So kids. you add another uh, <laughs> element: Canadian, I, Russian, Indian, American, Poland. Yeah, it's maybe it's in the back of your mind that like you just expect to continue to build this diversity of experiences. That when you talk about Indianness, I think it like it just it amplifies and it it kind of builds on top of that foundation. But I think that the reason why I've stayed in public service so long has been that I've been able to move around across the different agencies or the different cabinet level areas. And typically where I'm brought in is to build something new, to turn it around, to rethink or reimagine how we leveraging innovation and technology and you know other things to, to make life better for the American public. And so I think if I hadn't had so much of those different pivots, then I might not have stayed as as long or had as as deep a career in public service. But you know, somebody tapped me tomorrow and said, you know, you're and you're working for this company over here. I, again, a lot of it's just keeping an open mind as long as you're kind of pushing those passions forward and you're making those changes you want to make. I haven't felt the urge to to make that next shift yet. So, do you think? Public service comes either from your dad, mom, anything that's been instilled a little bit in you? Because, you know, public service is a phenomenal thing that a lot of people should do, but it also comes with sacrifices, especially economic and financial. But you've done that. Yeah, I'd say it's a little bit of both. So my dad, like I said, besides being a physician, he also did a lot of charity work and was made with some interesting things like uh, apples and otherwise that gets ingrained in you. Like you see this kind of an approach in life and I think it's subconsciously just brain. It, it just gets ingrained in you. My mom, who was a nurse and where my dad met her at the hospital out in Canada, she was also not only, you know, that life of healthcare, but also a lot of volunteer work and working in different areas to, to kind of to drive things forward. So when you see that growing up, it has an impact, but I also think individually, you know, I look at my siblings, some of them don't have that passion. Some of them don't look at, don't have that worldview. I'm sure I'm, it's unexplored, but there's probably been other incidents in my life or the ways that I've kind of been able to think through or the experience that I've had that kind of have triggered that. And I think once you get an ultimate in public service and you see the challenges and the differences you can make, then it kind of inspires you to 
continue going in that direction. That's a great point. But you also, as you said, been open to, I mean, you could have just stayed in one place and tried to rise through, but you've taken on different roles. Some of it comes with risk challenges and sometimes, you know, maybe not so great things happening. So, you know, there is an element of risk taking also in there and being open. Where does that come from and how do you account for that? It's a really good question. I'm not sure I, I've struggled because every new position I took in title absolutely came with risk. And, you know, whether I'm over at the Department of Labor, I'm over at Health and Human Services, even between those agencies, they're so big and the nomenclature is so different and the culture is so different and the challenges are so different that stepping in any one of those is uh, risk. If you're not going to meet expectations, you're not going to be able to turn things around, you're not going to be able to fit in with the culture and drive it. I think that there's this internal sound. I think there's like an internal hunger, an internal drive that I have inside. I, like, again, I don't see it in some of my colleagues. I don't see it in some of my siblings. I see it in my dad. The easiest thing you could have done is stay with the seven brothers and sisters and been a farmer like all of them and not come to the U.S., not go to Canada. I mean, he had some real hardships coming over here and not knowing anybody. And you know, persevering through that when there was really no role models in his life that, like, hey, why do you go to a medical professional in the U.S.? And so I think there's a similar drive in me that that to get in, make a difference, and then move to the next area that I can help to create change and create value. And once that's kind of in place and it's been structured, then it can move over and can go to a different direction. Well, that's a pretty relevant point. You mentioned, obviously, when you do this leadership training, you do this 360 views. If you were to talk about some of the defining moments and, you know, I have my view listening to you, you know, all of us have some cases, few, some cases more. Do you think going to Purdue was a defining moment, going to Tennessee or that internship? I'm sure there are many others, but just because... These are the lessons that we want our listeners to see is sometimes you have choices and what choices you make. Sometimes you get a choice to make and sometimes you don't really lead you in certain directions, Sanjay. I would say every one of those stops and engagements were defining moments because every one of them came with life experiences. It came with challenges. It came with opening yourself up to different experiences. And so... I don't think you reflect as often when you're younger. You reflect a lot more when you're older. At least that was the way it was for me. But I think each one of those shaped how I looked at the world, how I looked at everything from my preconceived notions of what it would mean like to live in the South, what it would mean like to live in government, what it would mean like to leave home and go and live in a Midwest campus, a fairly diverse campus in, in, in the Midwest. And so those things subconsciously and unconsciously impact and shape kind of your worldview and how you see the world. And I would say that the way I thought about each of those experiences were vastly different than where I ended up. And so those all have really defining moments. Sometimes we don't even realize what kind of impact they're having, but they're having an impact. Yeah, that's an important aspect. Sanjay, one of the things that we talk a lot on the show is the role of mentors, whether, you know, all of us informally, formally, hopefully had whether it's our parents or others, have there been some mentors along the way in your journey? Because 
as I said, this is about you know providing that path for others who want to be the Sanjay Koyanis of the world. Have there been mentors for you? There, there have, and some of them have been informal, some of them have been more formal, but they have been tremendously helpful in how I take a step back and rethink about what's going on in my experience. I think you sometimes are so focused on driving things forward and it's hard to take a step back. And when I started my career, I had a few mentors early on who not only guided me on my career path, but also were able to come in and help coach me to help me to think about things, not necessarily give me guidance and advice, but to do some active listening and then to say, Sanjay, how, how would you think about that? I've always found that they, they're very good at asking the right questions. I've tried to model that too as I've mentored folks. But taking a step back and asking really important questions, including like how important is this to you right now? If you could step outside of yourself, how would you think about this? How would you think about this from somebody else's perspective? You know, where are you really trying to go with both your you know personal and professional life? And those things again, you get caught in your head sometimes so much that having an individual who can help you to Take that moment, hit the reset button, and really think through different ways of driving yourself forward, driving your projects forward, but also thinking about how you position yourself and what really lights your fire is important. I remember one of my careers, I was so caught up on, you know, well, this is this got a little bit more money associated with it. It's got these, it's got this great title. It's, you know, there were all these factors. And I remember my mentor saying, Sanjay, does it light your fire? I said, what do you mean? Like, does it light your fire? Is this going to get you up at night when you're changing that title and you're changing that career and you're changing that experience? Is it going to juice you to do what you want to do? And, you know, I had two choices at the time and one of them clearly juiced me. The other one just had a great title. And so I said, if you go down this criteria list and we really think about waiting this stuff out, I mean, rather than just this random, random thinking around the vast ideas I had, just like take a step back, take a deep breath. Let's look at the weights. But at the end of the day, does this get you up in the morning? Does this juice you? Is it going to get you excited? And there was a pathway that was clear. There was a pathway that wasn't. And so I went on. It kind of helped guide where I needed to go. So for people who are beginning this journey or down this journey, want to be like you, what kind of mentors should they be looking for formally or informally? Is there kind of a formula or what are your thoughts? You know, I think that, I don't know if there's one right way, I can tell you what's worked for me is at work, I worked in one place where we had, it was a priority for the agency to have a contract in place, a mechanism in place for staff to get that, to help them improve in their careers and to think about how they fully develop in a 360 way. Other places that haven't had that, I've reached out to to colleagues of mine or people at the agency and said, and, and just said, look, I'm new here. Is there anybody you would recommend that I would speak to that could help kind of show me the ropes and guide me or, or who, who, who uh, has done this type of stuff in the past? And it's just been good old fashioned asking questions. They're like, you know what, given where you're, you know, you're coming in here new and this is your area of focus. And there's truth or truth in me. I really want to reach out to and just ask them. And so I've done a lot of that too. And it's like, I'm going to proactively look at, based on what I'm hearing, seeing, and sometimes they don't, it, nobody's giving me any information. I'm just looking at Orgulus and I'm like, this person looks like they've been here a long time. They've seen the ropes. I'm going to reach out. And I rarely found a person who hasn't wanted to jump in and to provide guidance and support. 
And in fact, sometimes they're just, it's, they may not have the time, but they make the time. And I've had a lot of really good folks who have done it and made that time because they're just honored that you've reached out, that you're wanting to get their feedback and guidance. And that can kind of sometimes be humbling for, you're like, hey, this person's great. They've accomplished a lot, but they're even humbled by somebody reaching out and saying, I, I really want to get your guidance as I move forward in my life and career. So basically just not being afraid to reach out is what your message is. And there are people who most of them will extend in hand because that's what most people want to do. And I think it helps to, to, to also frame the intent. At the end of the day, I'm a, in my heart, I'm a communications guy. And even now, like I to get, get things through an organization and how you draft things to really resonate with the audience you're talking with. And so if I went and said, hey, I need some time with you, and without really being clear, I value your time. I've done some research on your background. I think you'd be great. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish. And I'd love to, based on your schedule, to be able to connect and have and uh, get your guidance. And that's always worked really well. But thinking about letting them understand the intent, what you're trying to do, I think in a lot of ways is also really helpful. That's wonderful. Sanjay, we said at the top of the show that our world is changing right in front of our eyes, you know, for many reasons, technology, especially generative AI, large language models, chat GPD, et cetera. And, you know, and there are reports from McKinsey that say, hey, AI will, you know, impact so many 12 million people in the workforce, et cetera. What is your view of all of this? So, so I take the viewpoint, Sanjay, that it has the power to do great good, and it has, without the right kind of checks and balances, the ability to do great harm. And I think that kind of goes across the board. Where I typically focused on this over my career is on the opportunity it can we can use it to empower people or empower the workforce. And so, you know, how do we shift people from doing, you know, being doing media work, from being data collectors and spending a lot of their time? I see this a lot in the public sector. I have to go to like 10 different data sources, bring this information together to answer a question or to respond to a, a public service. And they're just exhausted by that. Whereas if we leverage AI in a responsible in a smart way, we can really use it to speed up things that are just bogging us down in the workforce, translation services, helping to make determinations on certain benefits that we put out. You know, I'll tell you when I was at Health and Human Services, I, again, wearing, being very comfortable wearing different hats. At one point, I found myself leading a sectoral initiative that was focused on how do we optimize our 10 regional offices across the country that make up health and human services. And so 10 of our health and human service agencies are in 10 regions across the country and in delivering, you know, hands-on work with the states and other partners. And I went to each of the 10 region from San Francisco to, to Boston. And the one thing that I heard as a core message from the staff as I interviewed and engaged and really wanted to understand because we look at a headquarter agency in DC and then we look at regional offices that are distributed you know where can we make improvement one of the top line things they talked about was that you hired me to do a job and all I'm doing is data wrangling you know we were asked to administer this program we have to do so much reporting and so much data gathering and so much of, of this stuff and I can't do what you hired me to do and so I've got an expertise and especially we need to get back to that 
And so working technology used in the right way help fix that future state and enable people to shift more towards delivering those services, better customer service, more empathy as we engage with our customers and our partners across the country. I had the same thing with the states. They were coming in and saying, look, I got a grant from you, but I have to fill out so much information and I have to pull together so much of this other data and then analyze it and pull it together that I'm not able to administer some of the stuff you're looking for. And so where can we use this smartly to automate, to create greater intelligence, to drive some of these pieces forward? And so a core focus I have right now is on how do we empower our public service community, our partners, the folks who get funded through us to do things in a more effective way that gets them to do what they were hired to do. So what you're saying is it'll responsible AI will make us probably more efficient. And the key word is being a responsible AI. No, that's great. You are the chief technology officer at Labor now, and you still have so many chapters in your book left. It's a long book. Where do you see this journey? Obviously, you've spent so many, as you said, you know, one point three trillion for our listeners who didn't get that one point three trillion, you know, agency which is HHS, and now with Labor. Where do you see your journey now, Sanjay? So I would say I'm keeping an open mind, Sanjay. I am looking for what's going to light my next fire, but you know, whether it be public sector, nonprofit, private sector, I, I think I'm keeping as long as it's aligned with that core focus I've had for so long, which is enabling technologies to advance how we are and how we can improve public services, how we can improve anything we're really delivering and enabling, and it's helping to push forward public service, healthcare, and so forth. And those are my passion points, but where that happens and where, where I can be of most service to drive this forward is kind of my guidepost as I keep my options open for where can I make the greatest contributions. And as your mentor said, where you can wake up in the morning and jump out of bed, that's what is the next journey. And I'm sure there'll be fantastic opportunities in the public sector elsewhere for you. Sanjay, you know, if you were to give a piece of advice or two to the Sanjay who was just graduating out of Purdue, what would you tell him one or two things looking back now? I would probably tell him to just keep the faith and keep an open mind. Don't worry so much. If you have a, a general sense of where you want to go and you do keep that open mindset, life will drive you. You'll have a lot of really great experiences. You probably have some hard failures, but I think you learn a lot in that regard and you come back and become a much better person. But don't be so worried about what you were meant to do and where you're going to go. You, you put yourself out there, life will drive you. So keep the faith, keep an open mind, and let life drive you, not be so worried. Those are good messages for everybody else who's beginning on this journey. Sanjay, we generally end asking one or two sentence answers for most of our people. So what is your definition of Indianness? And this is specific for you because would love to hear that answer. How do you define your Indianness? Wow. So... I guess what comes to mind so much is I think just celebrating the human spirit of diversity engagement and how you can use that to make a contribution in society. I think it speaks to the diversity of my background, 
and the family I have now and the diversity of where I've been able to engage with a lot of different individuals, including, you know, society with you over the years where it's just these different experiences have really helped me to understand that the world is very big, but it's also very small. It's very interconnected. There's a lot more that really does connect us and divides us. And I think that that to me is, as I've gotten to meet a lot more of my culture and heritage in the DC area, like I've got a very, a very, I feel much more connected with my dad's side and how all this stuff interrelates with one another. Celebrating your cultural diversity is one of the key things that you mentioned. Well, that's great. One person that either from India or of Indian origin around the world, not your family, somebody who's living that inspires you. You know, it's such a, I, I will say that there's a lot that comes to mind. I would say you're one of them. But I, I have to say that I, I had a chance once to understand your story. And uh, we were at an event and I was pretty amazed by it including where you came from and how you kind of navigated to do what you needed to do. How about somebody else? Okay. I knew you'd, you'd, you'd move me along from that topic, Sanjay. I would say that also there, that, you know, I, I look up to where I think, you know, Modi is bringing the country and what he's trying to do from his transformational efforts. Early on in my life, my dad talked a lot about, as I was looking to understand and connect more with India, you know, Gandhi, what he was looking to do and, the, and just the incredible challenge that he had to change a country, to change a mindset, to change all these pieces. And so I got a chance to do a, an essay on him in school. And, you know, I understood the broad concepts. But when I went into what he was able to do and how he thought about it and just the, the largeness of it all, it was really inspiring for me. And, you know, when you look at transformational people, you don't get any better than that. That was, a, you know, once in a generation transformational person too, who had a vision, had a dream, had a lot of hardships, but was able to have such an impact on a country and a culture. Those are two pretty inspirational figures. Well, Mahatma Gandhi is a very inspirational figure, and Modi's name also comes up with several of our guests. But thank you, Sanjay, for taking the time, knowing it's a first government year in, and really appreciate it with what you're doing for public service in the United States. And really Thank you for opening yourself up to inspire our listeners and other guests. So thank you so much. Thank you, Sanjay. I appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to the Indianist podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future inspirational stories.